Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible. So let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 16. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, there are copies of God's Word on the table back there. Please take one. Exodus chapter 16. God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Uh, We have seen him bring them out of Egypt, bring them across the Red Sea. The last time we gathered over Exodus, he brought them to the bitter water of Marah, where they grumbled at not having anything to drink. Uh, They made the water sweet. God gave Moses a log, made the water sweet, said, if you will listen to me, if you will do what is right for me, if you will follow my commands, if you will follow my statutes, Exodus 15, 26, God says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. God has brought them to this place where they grumbled. He tested them. Will you depend on me for provision? He provides for them, leads them on to Elam. And we have a long text. I'm going to read this whole thing this morning. Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Verse 10. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Verse 18. But when they measured it with an omer, everyone who gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever lacked gathered, li- and whoever gathered little had no lack. 
Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And, what is, and all that is left, and all that is left over lay outside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, verse 31. Now the Lord, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout our generation, your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah. Would you pray with me, please? Father, help as we examine your word this morning. A text that is long, but a point that is fairly clear and simple, I pray. Father, speak to my heart as you speak through me. May I learn from your word, what you have for me to learn. May those here gathered learn what you have for them to learn. Father, may we, as your people, be edified through the preaching and teaching of your word. May we walk closer with you because of it. I pray, Father, that through your word today, the sinner would be humbled to repentance, and I pray salvation. Father, I pray that the holiness of your people would be promoted in the preaching of your word today, and I pray that Christ, our Savior, would be exalted as he is worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Bread from heaven. I have one, I hope, goal to accomplish in the text this morning. That we would see, big text, that we would see the link between the active obedience of God's people and the good provision of God. That we would see the active obedience of God's people and the good provision of God for his people, there is a link that connects those things. The active obedience of God's people is linked to the good provision of God for his people. I appreciate those who hold me in prayer throughout the week. I want you to know, as I wrestled through this text, you know what razor's edge I had to keep myself from falling off on? That was prosperity. Like, 
you probably know that I'm not a prosperity preacher, but as I read this and see God directing his people and his people obeying and God providing good when his people obey, I can see that twist of doctrine out there that says, just do good and God will do good to you. But we know, as we examined earlier in the texts, that sometimes God's people do good and bad things happen to them despite their having obeyed. So it is not a set rule that when we obey, we get good in this life, but it is absolutely an eternal truth that as we obey God, he eternally in Jesus has done good ultimately for his people. So we may suffer trial. We may experience good things. I'll share a verse a little later that that explains this a little more. I just wanted to say that right up front. You should know that your pastor wrestles with staying on the razor's edge of Scripture's line. It's easy to twist and manipulate, and I have prayed that God would guard me from doing such today. I pray that we will see the link between the active obedience of God's people and the good provision of God for his people. Israel grumbles again. I don't know if I shared last time, but I have told several as they've asked about this text in Exodus. I considered preaching Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, all the way through 17, verse 7 or 8, wherever that break is. I feel that it's a good section break, Exodus 17, 7, because Israel three times grumbles. So in that long text, there is a theme of Israel's grumbling and God's providing and testing for them. Israel grumbles again. I I asked this question of myself when I made that note. Israel grumbles. Like Israel, so much of my attitude in life is a reflection of my view of God. And I wonder how much of your attitude in life is a reflection of your view of God. It says in chapter 16, they set out from Elam. Look at Moses gives us this travel log. They left Elam where they had been, uh, 12 springs, 70 palm trees. They left it. They went to the wilderness of Sin. I know you're all looking at that. You might see Zin, Z-I-N. You might see Sin, S-I-N. I went back to how does the Hebrew word, how's it pronounced? Sin, the wilderness of Sin. And Moses gives us this travel log. Look at on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So they're a month and a half in to their journey from Egypt to the mountain of God. God is taking them to the mountain where he met Moses that they may worship him. Interesting, one commentator, I wrote this down. We have no idea. If you look at a Bible map, you can find different maps that show different things because we have no idea where they were. I could not put a map on the screen and say, here's where they were don't know. We know the geographical region. We know where the Sinai Peninsula is. They think they know ish where Mount Horeb is at, but we don't know where they are. And one commentator said this, they're somewhere between the bondage of the past and the hope of the promised land. And that was powerful when I read it because there we are, Christian. Somewhere between the bondage of the past and the hope of the promised land. And there we are. Their first complaint back in chapter 15 was that there was nothing to drink. What shall we drink? The water was bitter and they couldn't drink it. The second, here in the wilderness of Sin, is a complaint of hunger. Now, I want to say, I don't know everything about grumbling and complaining. The Bible says do all things without grumbling. Do all things without disputing. 
But I know that there are legitimate things to acknowledge that are not good. And there's a way to acknowledge those things in holiness and in righteousness. And there's a way to acknowledge those things in unrighteousness with sin in our heart. And so I want to be very careful as I talk about grumbling and complaining. I don't have it all figured out. Sometimes I grumble. I'm like, oh Lord, forgive me. I grumbled. But then I think, did I grumble or did I complain about a a real thing? Like when we get hungry, what do we do? We grumble. Like everybody said, pastor, you're reading 36 verses. I'm about to grumble. Like we grumble. Are we always complaining? Are we always, is that sin in our heart? Sometimes yes. And sometimes no. So this relies on the Spirit of God in us. If you're convicted, if you grumble and you're convicted by the Spirit of God and not the Word of man, you've done something wrong because God's Spirit has checked your heart. Repent of that. Be sanctified from that. So grumbling and complaining, I'm going to use them interchangeably, and I don't understand the full extent of both of them. Their complaint here, look at, they're hungry. Is it wrong for the people of Israel to say, God, we're hungry? No, they're hungry. God supplies all of our needs. What's wrong for them to say? Look at You have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. Verse 3, look at Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Because if we had died there, at least we ate meat and bread until we weren't hungry. Now we're following you, Lord, and we're starving. Notice, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Oh, I'm not grumbling against God. I wouldn't grumble against God. My problem is with Moses and Aaron. Who is Moses and Aaron? Moses and Aaron are the two that God has said, lead my people. So they are the recognized authority of God. Anybody who is in the youth Sunday school last week, we talked about this. Moses and Aaron are the recognized authority of God over the people of Israel and for them to grumble against Moses and Aaron. Look what Moses says later in verse eight. What are we? Your grumbling is against God. They still have this thought. When I started, I said, So much of our attitude is a reflection of our view of God. They still think that Moses, ultimately God, that his purpose for them is death. You've brought us out here to kill us with hunger. This is not the first time they've done this. Back in Exodus chapter 5, when Moses first went into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh doubled down on, you're going to make all the bricks you've made, you're going to find your own materials, and you're not going to decrease the quota. I'm going to remove materials from you. You made life worse for them. They cry out in Exodus chapter 5, verse 21 to Moses and say, you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It's not at all what has happened in Exodus chapter 5. God has said, I will deliver you, but their view is we're dead men. Exodus chapter 14, we just examined this uh, a few weeks ago. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die there than to die in the wilderness. Here again, a third time, we're going to die in the wilderness. Their view of God is that he has redeemed them and left them to die. These statements do nothing but demonstrate a lack of faith in the word and the promise of God. 
I wonder, does your faith in God's promise ever waver to the point of feeling like the Israelites? God, are you just going to leave me here to die in this wilderness? It'd been better if I had just stayed in Egypt eating the meat and bread to the full. Did your faith ever waver to the point of feeling like all God has done has left you for dead? That is not the gospel. That is a different spirit speaking. That's not the hope that Jesus provided in his death and resurrection. That's not God's character. God said, he will never leave or forsake. Hebrews 13, 6. In the midst of trial, there is hope to be found. Is this a bad situation for them? Yes, it is, but God hasn't left them there for dead. God is present and active and providing for his people at all times. God is always good, even in our trial. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, he's talking about a man, and I, I suspect that it's himself, but we'll leave it at, we don't know because of the way he words it, but I'm pretty sure it's him because of what he says. I knew a man who was caught up in the spirit and was given all this revelation. Wow, I was shown so much. And Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh, something to keep me humble. But it was some form of physical affliction because Paul prayed that he would be delivered from it three times. And the only answer that Paul got those three times was, my grace is sufficient for you. In that trial, God told Paul, just rely on my grace. Rely on my grace. If there's nothing around you, if there's no relief around you in anything that is happening around you and you can find no earthly good, rest in my grace to you. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. He never tells us of having been relieved of that affliction. Job, and no one but Christ suffered more. Job, chapter 2, verse 10, should we accept only good from God? and not adversity. So you can see that even as I wrestle with seeing the twisting of Scripture to the prosperity, Scripture is able to bring back and show you, no, 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 there's good for God's people, but there's bad for God's people too. And we will accept, God, whatever my lot is in this life, right? We sing the words, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. We experience various trials. Israel now facing another one. Our call, Christians hundreds of years ago and ancient catechisms would ask ways to teach and remember truth. It's all catechism is. Don't be scared. If you're from a Catholic background, you've heard Catholic words. Catechism is a way to memorize and learn biblical truth. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that Christians for hundreds of years have given to enjoy God, to glorify and enjoy God forever. Well, man, if I'm starving hungry and think I'm on the verge of death in the wilderness, I'm not sure that there's something to glorify God about. 
If I'm thirsty and there's no water to drink, I'm not sure what there is to glorify God about. If I'm in this wilderness called this life, somewhere between relief from bondage and the hope of the promised land, but there's nothing good around me, how do I glorify God in that? Paul helps us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Philippians 4, 13. Every sports team that engaged in sports this past week got in a huddle and, ooh, they're getting all, ooh, ah, amped up. And, wah, wah, wah. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, right? But only one team won, so somebody didn't do something through Christ, right? What a distortion of God's word. Paul says this, and we should pay attention. Paul says, Philippians 4, I have learned to be content in every situation. Can you say that this morning, Christian? I cannot I'm so discontent so often. I have learned to be content in every situation. Paul goes on, how to be brought low, how to abound. The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What was his secret? How did he do it? He goes on and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now do we understand the setting of that most famous of verses? I can be in want. I can be in hunger. I can be in plenty, abundance. I can be brought low or I can be held high wherever I am. It is the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ who helps me endure. I can do all things. I was reminded of the song we sing here from time to time. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. God delivers his people to worship him and to find their satisfaction in him, whether his provision is for the good of the moment or not. How many of us can testify to moments where the peace and goodness and glory of God has flooded a most undesirable situation. Israel grumbles. Moses calls it out. You're grumbling against the Lord, and he has heard you. We would never want to grumble against the Lord. Could you imagine Israel in this? Let's just put ourselves in their shoes, because that's where we are. You're grumbling against the Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. We would never, because we saw the plagues and the Red Sea. We would never grumble. And if I'm Moses in that moment, which I'm hardly ever, never, well, then what are you worried about the food for? If you saw the plagues in the Red Sea, God can apparently give you what you need in a moment. We would never grumble against God. It's you, Moses. It's you, Aaron. There's a great lesson for children in here, and that's why I enjoyed the youth Sunday school last week. Children, your parents are God's given authority to you. When they speak for your good or your bad, God put them there. When provision is for good or for bad, it is from God's hand that it is coming our way. Nothing happens without God being in control of it happening. We would never want to grumble against the Lord, but I wonder, do we ever realize that that's what we're doing? When our grumbling is negative at someone... We're grumbling against the Lord in them. Now, people are going to do plenty enough to give us reason to grumble. But again, with that tension of 
How do we grumble and complain and not sin? Like Christians, if we're paying attention to God's word, the Bible tells us that when our brother causes an offense against us, when someone sins against us, we go to them. How often do we practice that? Do you know how often in my life someone has sinned against me and I've never said a word to them? So how am I allowing God's word to sanctify either myself or my brother by not doing what God says to do instead? What do I do? I grumble and in that moment, I'm wrong. We would never want to grumble against the Lord, but when we grumble wrongly, when we complain wrongly, that is exactly what we're doing. And we should understand that grumbling is sin. Complaining may not always be sin, but can be. Grumbling is never spoken of well in the Bible. Grumbling is sin. Sin is always against God, regardless of who the grumbling is aimed at. Philippians 2, the last time we gathered over this text in Exodus, Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all without grumbling that you may be innocent without blemish. Grumbling causes us to be guilty, stained before man and God, that you may be innocent without blemish. Grumbling shows a lack of contentment. Is it reality to say, God, I am starving, would you provide? No, that's acknowledging I'm hungry and I can do nothing in the moment, but trust that God will provide. I'm ailing, I'm dying, and I can do nothing but trust that God will provide. And if he doesn't, my hope is eternal. God, would you provide in this moment? Father, would you give according to your goodness? Would you help in this moment? But if you don't, the very prayer of Christ in the garden, we just sang it. And I thought, I saw that line. I didn't memorize it. I saw that line and thought, man, uh, my hope secured when there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours. You know what that is? That's Christ, eternal Son of God, saying, I will do what I came to do. Father, if it's your will, deliver me from this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Christ suffered. Do we ever do we ever suffer? Do we endure suffering well, recognizing God is refining us? That's the last sermon. We'll keep going this morning. God calls us to find our satisfaction in him, so much so that there's nothing to be dissatisfied with in the world. Moses here is helping the people to see. Ultimately, their circumstances are in the hands of him, who Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 3, chapter 16, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 8, when the, e when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? We've not given you meat. We've not given you bread. God is helping them see their circumstances in the hands of the Lord. And why? Why is it? Look at what he says, verse 6. At evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Look at verse 7. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. When this happens, you'll know. It wasn't me, Moses. It wasn't him, Aaron, that did anything. You will know that it was the Lord your God. And God says that they may know that I am the Lord. Look down at the end of verse 12. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know, as that bread hits their taste senses, 
as the meat is prepared and they consume, that food was given to them as an acknowledgement and an understanding of the Lord our God did this. They were not able to stand around and eat that first meal of flaky, frosty, honey-tasting wafers and quail and say, look what we did. They were not able to take credit in that moment. They were to know that God is the Lord. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, your provider. Observe the grumbling. Verse 3, they grumbled. Look at the grumble. They grumbled. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Okay, that's the grumble. You brought us all out in the wilderness to kill us. What are they remembering? We're here to die because we're starving. And back there, we ate meat. We sat by the meat pots and we ate bread until we were filled, right? Observing the provision, something very interesting happens here. They're hungry and God knows it. Your meal this afternoon comes from the Lord providing for you. They're hungry. God knows it. He provides for them. They grumble. Would that we had died back there where at least we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. And then in God's provision, verse 12, look at what he says in verse 12. You shall eat meat. You shall be filled with bread. The very thing that they wish they still had back in Egypt, God is going to give them. The very thing. Remember we ate meat and bread to the full? You're going to eat meat and bread to the full. Are you going to trust me as your provider? Are you going to walk in my word, in my ways? This verse to me, to me this verse is like an Ephesians chapter 2, but God level. could be written across there. I have heard, verse 12, the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled, right? I have heard their grumbling, but God provided. Then you shall know God's provision. Listen, church, Christian, when you sit down at your meal today, God's provision in that meal is so that you will know that he is God. Look what I have before me. God is good. God is great. Amen. God tells Moses he's going to test them. This isn't just about their hunger. Here comes another test. The first test out of their thirst was, are you going to listen? If you listen, if you obey, I will guard you. Look what he says here, verse 4, the end of verse 4. I'm going to test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This test is about their obedience. I wonder, if you are like me, when my faith is tested, my obedience is out there vulnerable. Maybe you don't relate. I'm glad you're a stronger Christian than me. But when my faith gets shaken, how much easier is it in those moments to let go of the very disciplines that draw us closer to God and to waver then, like the Israelites, is it all going to be okay? Is, is everything 
And then what happens? Then the anxiety starts to take over. The doubting starts to take over. We start to forget God instead of holding closely to God. He's now testing. I wonder, how is your obedience when your faith is tested? Uh, Oh, Father, give us strength to dig deeper in our obedience when you test our faith. Verse four, whether they will walk in my law or not. I already said, Pastor, we're in verse four. There's 36 verses. Yes, and the test of God is drawn out from verse 13 to verse 30. You can read all about the specifics of how God tests them there. Let's look at the nuts and bolts. The test will come in two ways. One, what, two, when. What is, what is to be collected as much as they can eat? by the number of persons in their tent, eat it up, no leftovers. This wouldn't be strange to them. Remember the Passover? You shall have a meal according to everyone's in your home. You shall eat it all up. You shall leave nothing left over. Okay, Lord, that's like the Passover. Yes, you're learning. Gather it up, eat it that day. Save nothing. When? For six days. For five days, they would gather one portion each day, and on the sixth day, they would gather two portions. They are to collect for two days, because on the seventh day, they are not to collect anything. The test of their obedience is in the, what are we collecting, and when are we collecting it? Right? How often do we think the test of God's, the test of our obedience to God is in some great, big, massive way? I've never endured the testing of God. Look how easy this test is for them. Here's my rule. Gather a daily portion every day for five days. On the sixth day, gather two. Go. It's that simple. It was that simple. Look at verse 20. But they did not listen. (laughs) Why? Some of them saved it over and it melted. Look what happens later. Some uh, went in the morning... Later down in verse 20, somewhere in the 20s, it happens where some go out on the seventh day to collect. And what happens? There isn't anything here. Where's the manna? Where's the quail? That was yesterday. You were told to gather it yesterday. And God had provided for them. I don't want to derail on this because we're going to study it more when we get into Exodus chapter 20. Before Sinai, before the Ten Commandments, in verse 23, would you look at it with me? Verse 23, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake you a bake, boil you a boil, set it aside. It'll be fine. Why? I'll preserve it. They can't set anything aside from day one through five. But on day six, they can prepare double, set it aside. And God says, it'll be fine. I got it all under control. Trust me. You know what happened to those that went out on the seventh day? They didn't trust that God would preserve the second portion because some went out and collected too much and then it melted and they couldn't eat it. It bred worms, it stank, it was no good. So they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna have a bowl full of worms again tomorrow. I'm not gonna have maggoty meat to eat tomorrow. No, no, no. I'm gonna collect a day's portion today and tomorrow I will go and I'll collect a day's portion again. And what happened? They go out in the morning, it's gone because they didn't obey because they didn't trust that God would preserve what he said he would preserve in their obedience active obedience of God leads to the good provision of God for his people. If they had obeyed, there would have been food and they would have been hungry. Why is he doing this? Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. In Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites are given a commandment officially. The fourth, 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Wow, has it thrown Christians off for hundreds and hundreds of years. Even this week, even right now today, there are people all over the map on what the Sabbath means. Let's not derail there. Let's look at this. In creation, God gave a command. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 29, Exodus chapter 16. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Do you understand what happens here? The great mix-up that happens is we're drawing near into Easter, and many of us, I pray, are reading gospel accounts of Christ's ministry. They are all over him for breaking the Sabbath. Everywhere. You're violating the Sabbath. You're violating the Sabbath. How dare you violate that they are all over Jesus and they want him dead because of it. Oh, because of so much more, right? And Christ, even in those moments, says, have you not read what David did? When he was hungry, he went to the tabernacle and ate the food that no one's supposed to eat. Don't you understand that you haven't been made for this day? This day has been made for you. Why? So that I can veg out from my week and do what I want. No. No. So that you can specifically and intentionally and corporately gather with the church to glorify God. Remember it and keep it holy. Not unlike sitting by the meat pots, they will now have to work. They will work for six days and they will rest on the seventh. You might want to write this down. If your obedience to God doesn't include resting in the holiness of God, your obedience is lacking. If this is not a specific and intentional moment, here every week or with some other body, if it is not specific and intentional that you gather with God's people to worship God and to rest in the holiness and the provision of God, your active obedience is lacking. We'll talk more about the Sabbath in weeks to come. Unlike when they sat by the meat pots, they will work. Five days, six days, they will gather. On the seventh, they will rest. God will have them work. We sat by the meat pots and ate our bread to the full. Well, you're not going to sit around and be fed now. Work is a good thing. I love to remind us of that. Work is a good thing. You're going to get up in the morning and collect your food. Because if you don't, by afternoon, it's going to be gone. Morning by morning, verse 21. By afternoon, the sluggard's portion was melted. Some did not listen. They found it was true. This is an excellent reminder for us to recognize laziness is sin. Those that did not take two portions on the sixth and went out on the seventh, that was sin. They did not obey the command of God. It's an excellent reminder for us. Later in Exodus, the Ark of the Testimony will be prepared. They'll build it to the specifications, and we will see what happens at the end of this chapter where they take this memorial and put it in the Ark of the Covenant, forever to be before them. It was fascinating to me as I considered that they're going to take this omer of this stuff. They're literally, what is it? They're going to put it in a jar. They're going to put it in the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. I want us to think about this for a second. Does anybody know? Just think. You don't have to show your hands. 
Do you know where the Ark of the Covenant resided among the people of Israel as they wandered the wilderness and as they entered the promised land? Where was the Ark? I'll help you. Always before them when they were moving and always at the center of them when they were camping. I want us to think about that. The Ark of the Covenant ever before them as they move, ever the center when they were still. I wonder... How prominent do we keep our testimony of the provision of God? They were to set this testimony of this provision at the center of their existence, in the mercy seat of God, under the cherubim and the gold seat where God came and dwells with his people. The ark of the testimony central to all of ancient Israel. This memorial portion of God's provision will sit at the center of this people. Does your testimony of the provision of God sit at the center of your life? Are you ready to talk about that with anyone right now? Is it leading you as you walk out the doors today and into work and whatever tomorrow? Is the testimony of God's provision leading you? Is God leading you? Is it at the center of your life? Will you talk about it this afternoon, tomorrow, next week? Like the people of Israel starving in the desert, we too are starving. And God has provided bread Several questions for us as we wrap up this morning. The act of obedience of God, the act of obedience of God's people leads to them seeing the good provision of God for them. Do what I've said, eat to the fill. Even if that, even if all that this life holds is misery, God has promised in Jesus eternal good for his people. In John 6, it was read this morning. Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I wonder, are you here this morning and are you hungry? Are you here this morning and are you spiritually starving? You have not gone to Jesus because Jesus fills us to the full. Eat of the bread of heaven. Are you starving this morning? Just as God said to the Israelites, you shall eat and you shall be filled. So anyone who comes to Christ will be satisfied spiritually for your good for eternity. I'm not talking about a moment of hunger. Is your spirit full? Are you satisfied with what God has provided? God rained down bread from heaven, gave directions for collecting it, and those who obeyed ate and were filled, and those who did not starved. Listen, I could use a meal. I could eat spiritually. I could be better nourished than I am. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, came down from heaven and those who partake in him will live forevermore and find fulfillment in this life. They will be spiritually and eternally filled. Those who don't, those who wait, they will miss out. They will die apart from Christ and starve in death. Are you consuming a meal? that you're sharing with other people? The world around us is starving and in need and bread has been rained down. Christ said, it wasn't Moses that fed you in the desert. It was God who gave you bread from heaven. I'm the bread from heaven. The greatest illustration in all of this is that God sent the bread for his people to be filled. Jesus said in John 6 verse 48, when we eat of the bread that came down from heaven, we will be forever filled. Jesus said his flesh was the bread that he gave for the life of the world. Have you eaten of this bread? 
are you consuming the bread that was given for you? How do I eat it? Trust Christ, call on Christ today and be saved. Trust that all that God is in Jesus for you is true and by faith, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and begin to take in the bread from heaven and be satisfied forever. Christian, are you actively obeying the command of God to eat the bread that he gave? Are you seeing the good provision of God in Jesus for you? Is it a daily I rise and consume of this bread and I'm full? I take a double portion on the sixth day and on the seventh day I rest in the holiness and the provision of God. Are you actively obeying the command of God to consume the bread of life, Jesus Christ? Are you taking time to rest in the holiness of God and his provision? Are you actively obeying and seeing the good provision of God in your life? Father, we come before you today. I thank you for helping me through a text that I'm tired, Lord, and I'm hungry. Yet I praise you for the bread from heaven. I praise you, Father, that as we starve in this wilderness of life, you have provided abundantly for us in Jesus. Father, I pray, God, help us to be active in our obedience to you that we may see your good provision. And Father, help us to be comfortable and confident that if your provision is not good for us, that does not change your goodness. You remain good and you have provided eternally. And you will, you will never remove that from us. You will never forsake us. Thank you, God. Strengthen us, Father, to consume what you have provided to be filled. Father, help us to rest in your holiness. Father, help us to share the bread from heaven with those that are starving around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.